I am not a fan of just unfiltered thoughts going out into the world. You know, just because you think it doesn't mean you should share it with everybody. I, I don't think full transparency is the goal here. Hello, my beautiful friends. My name is Dr. Beck. And I am Christine Barker. And this is Am I Doing It Wrong? A podcast for doctors by doctors. Dr. Beck is a mindset coach and medical doctor who specializes in liberating driven professional women from the limitations of perfectionism, imposter syndrome, and people pleasing. She's basically the cheat code for getting out of your own way, showing up authentically, and living a life you're proud of. And Christine is a medical educator and nephrologist who creates resources for doctors in training that I truly think are an unfair advantage. She makes complex topics super simple and takes the pain and uncertainty out of passing your medical exams. Christine and I connected a few years ago via our online platforms and over the years we've discussed countless highs, lows and in-betweens of Dr. Life. And in doing so, we've experienced firsthand the power of vulnerable conversations to show us where we're getting in our own way and underestimating our capacity. So we want you to be part of the conversation and experience these same results. Every week on the pod, we'll be bringing you conversations which shine light in dark places, normalize the doctor journey, ease unnecessary suffering, and give you actionable steps to thrive in all facets of your life. So grab a cuppa and get cozy for this week's episode of Am I Doing It Wrong? The podcast for doctors by doctors. So friends, we've got a really fun topic. We're just doing it, having a bit of chat about it beforehand. I just bring up all these examples that to us keep bringing up all of these feelings. <laughs> so I imagine that you guys are going to be able to resonate too. And the topic is saying the hard thing that you really think will, will help somebody out as opposed to saying the thing that you think is pleasant or keeps them comfortable. Uh, the classic example, you know, for this topic is when somebody has food on their face <laughs> and you, you just, this part of you is like, they need to know, they want to know they have food on their face. Somebody should tell them I would want to know, but then you're sitting over here like, I can't, I don't, I don't want to tell them. <laughs> I don't want to be the person. <laughs> But in all seriousness, this comes up in our lives in really important contexts. Um, you know, just to name a few, you think about how when you're in the hospital and you notice that a patient, you know, they've got a hard diagnosis. And despite your first transparent conversation, where you think you have fully um, provided this patient with all of the important information, you know, namely the prognosis as well, whether it's in terms of morbidity or mortality, and you come back the next day and they don't seem to have picked up all of that really important but hard to hear situation about the seriousness of the prognosis. And the obvious answer to this is, well, you let the patient know where, where they're wrong and where the gaps are. And in practice, it's really difficult to be the bearer of that bad news and to sort of feel like you're, you're popping their bubble or telling them things that they don't want to hear or they actively want to be in denial of. Um, yeah, what, what comes up for you, Christine, in terms of the relevance oh, of this topic? I have so many things to say on what you just said about the clinical space in terms of those um, more difficult conversations. But <laughs> before I do that, can I ask you to tell, before we came on, Beck told me a story. <laughs> and I, I just want to start with a story because I think you guys need to hear this story. <laughs> Beck, can you tell us the story about your pants? So here... <laughs> Look, this is a really good way 
to work on this topic. And this is when you have been on the other side of somebody deciding that they would rather be um, nice and pleasant and polite as opposed to really helping a girl out <laughs> when she needs them. We were just rattling our brains for examples of this. And I came to mind when I was an intern and I was rounding with, you know, a full, I can't remember if it was a medical team or surgical team. Um, and we got down to the ED that day. And one of the nurses, probably about lunchtime, she pulled me over and she said to me, she, she like, I thought she had some kind of medical important information to deliver about a patient that she wanted me to kind of execute on, share with the team. So to my surprise, she pulled me over and she whispered in my ear, this is very personal, uh, your pants are see-through. <laughs> Guys, I had been so in love with these pants. This is not the first day that I had worn these pants. Many days to the hospital had I worn these pants that I love so much. They're this grey clocks, pleated, little like a big hem at the bottom. I love them. And she told me this probably after I had passed hundreds of people on days before in the hospital. <laughs> and, you know, this is a, it probably plays out the mixed feelings that come up with this. And the reason why we're, we're I mean, the hundreds of other people that I passed who didn't feel that it was in my best interest for my welfare to tell me that my pants were see-through. Because in that moment, I felt very uncomfortable. But to this day, I brought up this nurse and I'm so grateful for this nurse. And I think this, this nurse is the kind of person who I'd want on my team, on my army for life, who would tell me that my pants are see-through see in a professional setting. <laughs> and how did you recover from that? So you, this was lunchtime, you said, and then... <laughs> How was the rest of your day after that? How oh, did I that took a half end? day, ran away. <laughs> Fair no, enough. here's the thing, here's the thing. And this is why I just, what she did was selfless and it was hard because I couldn't take a half day. There was this other professional part of me. Like that's a pretty interesting um, situation to be in because I had my professional duties to do, but also I probably needed to be professionally dressed, which I apparently wasn't. And I still had four more hours of my day to go. Um, I stuck out the day. <laughs> Look, I, I'm surprised I can't remember. I don't know if I like blacked it out in my mind because I never wanted to think about that embarrassment again. <laughs> or if um, I just genuinely can't remember because, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's clothes, it's pants. I don't, I don't care that much. But <laughs> yeah, um, I think the salient information from that situation was really that I... I'm really grateful for that discomfort in the moment because at the end of the day, I didn't wear the pants again, you know? That was what I got out of it. That was the outcome from this. I got to stop wearing the pants that were see-through that I would have otherwise <laughs> worn many, many, many more days of my professional life because <laughs> I yeah. don't turn around in the mirror and just, you know, check <laughs> before I go to work. And that is a part of my getting ready routine with new clothes now. In the dressing room, I turn around, I'm like, are these pants see-through? <laughs> I love that, your forever change. And it's such a shame because you love them so much. And I you probably them. were strutting around with that energy. And they're mm -hmm. all like, whoa, does she know that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I still have the pants. I'm determined to get some kind of, I don't know, I've seen like spanks and things that are like skin colored and you can, I, I yeah. figure I could like blend them in somehow. Yeah. But yep. I mean, it's been like five or six years now. So. <laughs> but that's how much I love the pants. I've, I've still got them. One day I will wear them again. That is so yeah. funny. And I guess coming back to that moment, so she obviously, she didn't really know you very well and she's just taken you aside well-meaningly. And then how how did you know that she had your best interests at heart? Like how, because I guess that's what we're talking about today is how it's hard to be that person in that position who actually calls something out because you're scared of what, what's going to happen. How did she approach that that was so successful? It's such a good point because as I tell the story, I, I didn't even really highlight the fact that it was such a good experience. And I, I did say I feel so good towards her, but that was because it was such a good experience in the way that she delivered it. She told me what I needed to hear from all these other people who didn't tell me what I needed to hear. And what you're saying is she told it to me in a way that really showed that she cared. And you know, you think about the classic ward round context, it's the quintessential time to humiliate people <laughs> traditionally in medicine right line up all the the training doctors and the med students and find out what they don't know and show everybody what they don't know that's <laughs> the classic thing and this was the opposite experience as i said she pulled me away from the group as if she had something important some important patient information to tell me is what i thought she it was that serious to her that she took me away and just delivered this information to me she whispered it to me and I don't, for some reason, I remember her kind of standing with me, staying with me. She didn't just tell me to run away, but she stayed with me in that moment to be like, do you understand? Um, are, are you okay? Um, do you need anything else? What can I do? There was that clear care component to it that made the delivery of the hard information so easy to take on. I had all the embarrassment and shock regardless, it doesn't matter how somebody delivers it, you're still gonna have your personal insecurity there. But none of that was directed towards her because it was just so clear in the way that she delivered the information. And then after she delivered the information, staying and seeing how I'd received it, being really interested in how I received it. Um, it was just obvious that she cared. And you can contrast that with, you know, the, the humiliating the medical team situation where there was an option there for her to just come to the group and make a funny thing of it because we all, especially in Australia, right, we use humour to make ourselves more comfortable. When we're uncomfortable, we use humour to talk about hard things. So many of us do that. And if she was really uncomfortable in herself because she was thinking about her own discomfort and she wanted to try and make it a lighthearted thing so that I didn't feel uncomfortable and it was just like this funny thing instead of a serious thing, she could have come and tried to, you know, make a, a joke of it in the group in a nice way. You know, and that, that, I guess jokes can be, if you make light of something, it can be a nice thing. But that would have been her prioritizing her comfort over my comfort in that case, right? She would be, she'd be more interested in making sure she delivered it in a way that was, you know, um, where she wasn't seen as a bad person. But instead, she was totally prioritizing how I felt and making sure I had, I was able to, feel taken care of in that moment, despite her, how hard it is to deliver 
uncomfortable news. Absolutely. And it's that it's a beautiful example. And it's it's such a lighthearted example, but it's so important. It's so it's so you can see how we would all want to be told that information, right, in a very nice way. Um, but she obviously had both empathy and compassion. She was probably thinking, what would I want? How would I how what would I want in this situation? And she created a beautiful little setting to give you that feedback that made you feel safe, even though you didn't really know her very well at all. So I feel like that is like a lovely that's going to probably be common to all of these uncomfortable situations we're talking about isn't it like empathy for the other person and if you were in their situation how would you want to be told what would you want to be told how many people would you want to be around you when you were told (laughs) you know um and then that compassion piece is that energy that gets sprinkled on like that safe space like it's just you and me and like this is like there's no judgment here there's no (laughs) it's just yeah because that in that situation that you were in you can see how there could be so many different ways to that including judgment including a judgmental punitive tone could have been used with you right and that would have been probably pretty harmful to your self-esteem not only that day but just in general I, i feel like something like that would have rocked me if it was said to me in that way as an intern you've only just started working in the hospital exactly trying to be my most professional (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely um so I think that's just such a beautiful um thing I guess coming back to (laughs) less funny story what you mentioned before I just I went on a tangent because I just thought it was lols it's great hopefully it incites a lot of an emotional reaction for most people so you can get the seriousness of why you should not be polite over being really kind, giving people the information they they want and need to hear. In those more severe situations, and I think we can all relate to them, um, I guess the one that you brought up was the one at the bedside and with the patient. I think that is really, really tricky. And I guess what I've seen is, I guess I have my own personal style and there's other people who have a different style. And I think I'm probably on like an extreme gentle end of the spectrum and then other people can be on this more severe end and probably what needs to happen is a blend if I'm being honest um but I guess I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do it but equally I feel like the if there is a right way it will have both of those things that we just mentioned that empathy compassion and honesty whilst also I don't know how what do you think, Beck, in terms of how do you do that in a way, I have my own way, but how do you do that in a way that you deliver something that's hard to hear, but also hold space for um, a positive outcome or a positive emotion in that person? Do you have any ideas about that? Oh, it just makes me think about why it's hard to hold space in so many different situations is because we find it so hard to be with our emotions that come up in that situation. You know, that when when a patient doesn't, when you find out that they haven't received the information that you thought you delivered, all these ideas come up about your fears, about, you know, why that happened. Are they in denial? Do they not want to know right now? Did I not deliver it well? Um, or, and if I say it again, will it be hurtful or too harsh or condescending? Condescending, you know, all these, all these ideas come up about why that is difficult and why you're in this situation in the first place. And that comes with all these different emotional experiences in you as well. And ultimately, you want to always be able to reorientate back to the person you're trying to help 
and not be driven by these feelings that are uncomfortable and difficult for you. And that's easy to say, but it's difficult in practice. It takes a lot of mindfulness and a lot of emotional regulation skillfulness. So that's the thing that I am constantly working on, not letting my emotions, especially the let negative emotions, if you like, just to simplify it, though have them drive me, drive me like fear so that I can be there for the person instead of my own fear. Yeah. And I think that's so true. Like that discomfort within yourself and how that impacts the way you show up in that situation. I've definitely been really guilty of this in the past and trying to get better to more a blended version is sugarcoating sugarcoating the truth um, and maybe um, using very sort of diplomatic words you know adding some sprinkles and <laughs> marshmallows <laughs> rainbows to this very bad news and then because probably i had been trying to make myself feel more comfortable like you say right and then equally the patient on the other end that's a disservice because they are thinking to themselves oh i'm fine i'm great i'm gonna live forever <laughs> and so then that steals an opportunity for them to make end of life decisions or get their affairs in order or you know spend that time with their family so it's, it's stealing something from them ultimately right and so i think um that blend of um so there's the super caring end and the super harsh end and then the blend seems to be in the middle which is what you experience in your example as well where it's like this is going to be uncomfortable for me to be honest with you but equally i'm going to be honest with you but i'm going to put in this dash of other stuff so that you can hear it and it lands well and everything's just it's a better bubble to be in for both of us. So it's a bit of a magic, isn't it? It is a bit of a magic. It's so clear that you care so much about your patients, isn't it? Your awareness of their experience dominates. You want this person to be okay and to not suffer. I, I think we would be remiss to say, and it's probably not often brought up, that a person's emotional experience in that moment of receiving the news saying that that is less important than the technical information about probably the future in this case as you're saying they're both really important and there's, there's those two aspects isn't it you, you want to de deliver that the technical information that they want to know and need to know to be able to be fully informed and make whatever decisions are best for them but you don't want to neglect their human experience in that moment either so i think you've said it beautifully it's that compassion element which is your consideration of the human experience and your your care for their suffering i don't think it fits within i don't think as a doctor you've done your job to just deliver the technical information you know i don't think you know if that was the job of a consultant we could just send them a letter with their cancer diagnosis, couldn't we? And we all agree that we would never do that. And the reason is because we know that a part of our job is to respect the human experience and actually support that element of the patient too in that time. That's totally a part of our job as doctors. Absolutely. And I guess sort of one of the fundamentals of being a doctor is that your overall job is to make people feel better in every situation and try to limit suffering. Right. And your your communication style can very much as a doctor 
cause suffering. <laughs> it can, cause right? I think suffering. so. Yeah. Yeah, it causes suffering. So I think we have to understand that about ourselves that we as doctors are both therapeutic and also double-edged. And so I think um one thing that I find in this situation that really works and I think is authentic is not taking away that fraction of hope that they need or the the positive uncertainty. So whenever someone has a limited prognosis, I think it's safe to say that none of us can really, unless they're really in that sort of terminal phase, none of us can really say how long, none of us really have a crystal ball. So I think it's actually helpful to give patients that uncertainty and say, listen, patients surprise me every single day. Your job is to live your best life, we'll keep you as well as we possibly can, manage your symptoms, and your job is just to do what you wanna do at this time and spend time with your family. Like, it, it is, you know, I'm actually very open to people who would challenge that communication style. It's my communication style. I don't think it's going to be everybody's, but I think that that's where I've managed to find that balance of being honest, but also still like holding space for self-empowerment and a delightful uncertainty that, you know, none of us know what's going to happen tomorrow. Even a healthy person doesn't know what's going to happen tomorrow. There's some really interesting studies that demonstrate, uh, I think it was with uh, either, it was elderly people with, I think, uh, muscle atrophy, or perhaps they had a neurodegenerative disorder like Parkinson's. They took these people and they put them back in their, uh, like a, a model environment from, I don't know when they're 40 years old or something a time when they didn't have parkinson's they're maybe like 80 years old and with the way that they were perceiving the world in that time and thinking about or associating back with their younger non-diseased or healthy body they started to uh (laughs) their symptoms actually improved and so what you're saying has so much merit um and it's so much of what we what what i teach in coaching in a less direct way that your mind can change your experience. And we don't have um, the research to sort of really solidify this at the moment, but we, we have lots of studies showing that, you know, if you think about exercising your biceps over a four week period, not actually exercise your biceps, but if you think about it, you will actually increase your muscle, I can't remember if it's strength or volume, it might've been both, you know? And so when we neglect that element of how you think about your body, your health, your prognosis, how you think about that actually can improve your experience and your outcomes. I'm not saying you can cure illnesses, but it has an impact. And when we don't give that positive aspect in a truthful way, but when we don't give that positive aspect to the patient, they also miss out on the benefits that come from that positive perspective and how that affects your body, your emotional experience, your behavior, your decisions as well. So I am I'm completely in agreement with you here. We don't want to steal. Sure, it, there might be a large negative element which needs to be delivered, but the positive element also needs to be emphasized to do the patient, well, A, to be clear, truthfully deliver the whole picture, but B, to also give the patient a chance to benefit from that positive aspect. Often when we've given that information, it's not a one and done thing. You're going to see them tomorrow or a week's time or an outpatient or somewhere. And so it's also a trust thing that you, you know, it's actually, I, I think patients do appreciate difficult conversations. Like how many times have you had this back where someone's been like, 
thank you for telling me that. That must have been really hard to tell me that. And you're you're sitting thinking, isn't it harder to be on the receiving end of that? But patients are kind of blown away by the, their empathy for you in that situation, having to tell them that thing. Isn't that fascinating? Have you seen that before? No, I'm just having flashbacks to my time in oncology and the amount of times I would sit by the bedside because I got to be the registrar and I got to deliver a lot of these conversations and do a lot of the follow-up conversations um, for this as well where perhaps the consultant had delivered the news the day before and then I was the person who showed up the next day as well or the, that afternoon to check in with them and like, like you say like the follow-up conversation is a it's an it's another thing it's another opportunity and it's a different conversation as well yeah and there's usually a lot more humor and lightness in the follow-up conversation when that initial conversation has gone well and obviously that depends on the patient's you know belief system and philosophy and whether there's any conflict with what you've had to deliver versus them and their family but more often than not I think that there there can be a more like we've all said all the hard things and this weight comes off and we have this really beautiful rapport mm. you know what I just thought of as a really critical element in this it's relieving uncertainty and the prognosis that you give in the moment still comes with uncertainty but how many times have you had, you know, you've got your patients and they perhaps they come in, in, in my context, it was like come in acutely and we'd be working out what's happening often over the first couple of days. And so they spend all these days in uncertainty. And then the moment you can deliver this news, what you figured out, you deliver that prognosis. It doesn't seem to matter as much what the news is, but the uncertainty is so challenging. So just being able to be clear with people instead of dancing around or walking on eggshells, just being able to be clear with people at the very least can relieve that uncertainty, which is one of the things that people, I think, pain, uncertainty and injustice are some of those irreconcilable things that humans will just never be able to be comfortable with. And wherever we can uh, lessen those natural human experiences we can relieve a lot of um, suffering cycles just when you say that i'm actually thinking of an example and it it would surprise you to hear the outcome of the story compared to what i thought would be the outcome of the story when it was happening and i was in the moment but i remember it was early in the pandemic and we were doing telehealth and there was a lady that i was seeing i'd never met her before and i, I was like literally she's never seen me and i'm on the phone and She'd had a diagnosis of cancer before and it was chopped out. So she'd had an nephrectomy for renal cell cancer. And then somehow she hadn't had the scan. So I had organized a scan for her, like a surveillance scan, and she hadn't been linked in with the urologist, just the way the pandemic was. And what happened was that I ended up being the person to be like, oh, there's a mass, you know, and, and I'm, she, she knows that I can see that scan and she's asking me what's on the scan. And I would have obviously preferred that I wasn't the person, I'm not qualified to talk about the stats and all the things, but equally like what you said, is it worse to like just say nothing and be all, oh no, we can't talk about the scan. <laughs> or is it better to be like, listen, you know, I'm not qualified to give you all the ins and outs, but what the scan shows and be the person that delivers that bad news. And I, I don't think there's necessarily a right or wrong. I mean, I think arguably you could have just not delivered the information but I went with what you said because I, I just and I think mysteries and uncertainty are painful for people and they, they make you lose sleep and everything gets built up in your head 
So I decided to, to give her the sort of primer bad news without all the details. And as I was doing that, I was feeling entirely sick about it and just like, I'm doing the wrong thing, I'm doing the wrong thing. And now I actually still see this person. I actually met her in real life for the first time in the last few months. And we have a great relationship and she'll still bring that up. Remember that day you phoned me? Remember that day I felt so bad for you? All that stuff. Um, and But, you know, we, we have a very good, like... Uh, doctor-patient relationship and and if you'd asked me if that was the right thing to do in the day I was feeling sick about that I hung up and I was I was feeling sick about it but I think it just goes to show that that patients even when they're in that horrible situation um they will they will form those bonds with you even when you don't have all the answers <laughs> if you're just coming from a well-meaning place they can sense it that I think that's true yeah and I mean we're assuming that you caused her more distress by giving her that um, preliminary diagnosis or telling her about the reasonable possibility. We're assuming that that's creating more distress for her and that's why you felt so sick, right? And also just the idea that maybe it wasn't the technical best thing to do, whatever. But we don't know that she could have, and we assume this in medicine when we say things like that, don't, if you're not the specialist, don't deliver that information because the patient's going to want all the other information. But that's assuming, and we're it's assuming that it would cause more suffering to give them that preliminary information when, you know, when the patient's thinking the doctor's not giving me the scan information, something must be very wrong. You know, a patient could easily jump to those thoughts. Which one's causing more suffering? We don't know. And we like to assume that we know the right way to do things, but that would require us to be in the heads of our patients and understand what all of their specific personal worries are and we don't. So I love that you decided to personalize it. And, you know, in some aspects, you, you recognize that the patient was really wanting to know this information. Perhaps you could even detect that she was getting a lot of anxiety from you, people withholding the result for her from her or whatever. You know, I would trust that your professional judgment in that moment because of your level of compassion and empathy would have been the best for that patient. And I think that's the strength of really caring as a doctor. You don't have to follow the protocols and the guidelines because you follow the patient in front of you. Equally, like what you were saying is also true. Like I, I, in that moment, I, I did consider my own discomfort. I was like, oh, <laughs> I, I proceeded down the path of giving the bad news that was kind of my business, none of my business. But then I was also like, mm, this is not gonna feel nice. I think you also almost have to kind of strap in for the experience, don't you? <laughs> You're just like, well, this is uncomfortable. This is gonna be so uncomfortable. Okay, big breath. I think that's part of it. And then that's part of any bad news situation. Exactly. Yeah. The fact that you did it anyway, you didn't let your discomfort stop you from doing what you thought was right for that patient. And that's the whole, that's the whole point of this. That nurse didn't let her discomfort stop me from stopping to wear those stupid pants, which I still have a lot of love for. I'm not letting them go. <laughs> uh, why did you hold on to the pants? Why do you, like, so you've, you've held on to them, you haven't I worn them in how many them. years? <laughs> Six, five, I don't know. Because I told you, I have this idea that I can get some undergarment. <laughs> I'm obviously not traumatized by the pants. <laughs> I just think it's funny how you haven't yet taken the action step to getting said undies for that. I think that's just so interesting to me. 
Anyway, that's a bit of a tangent. I'm anyway. not particularly happy with my solution yet, but look, I'll report back on the podcast. I'm now motivated. I've been reminded. This is why, this is why I love talking to you, Christine, because this is going to improve my life. I'm going to get my pants back on. Yeah. With and I'm going to discover a new um, undergarment. I'll let you all know so that you yes. too can wear your see-through pants with pride. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm going to be watching the gram. I'm going to be looking out for those. It'll be like a, a photo. <laughs> yeah, a little. <laughs> <laughs> that position I I'm, every morning. Can you say through my pants? <laughs> for those of you who are having an audio experience, she's doing a little twist in the mirror. She's doing a little twist. Does my butt look big in this? Oh my goodness! Right. Yes, we're talking about truths. Does my bum look big in this? What is the answer to that question? <sighs> Is it is it cruel or is it is it kind to say yes? <laughs> What's the right thing to do? Yeah, I feel like I've trained my partner to know what to do intuitively, <laughs> which is lie to my face. <laughs> so I think I think we're both on the same page there. But apart from that question, most other questions you can insert. Actually, that's a really great question, though. Are there situations where? It's not kind to be truthful. Like, when do you not tell the whole truth or a filtered, sprinkled version of the truth? When is that okay? Yeah, I am not a fan of just unfiltered thoughts going out into the world. You know, just because you think it doesn't mean you should share it with everybody. I I don't think full transparency is the goal here. You always want to be thinking about why you're saying what you're saying. And, you know, I think to me, authenticity versus honesty, like authenticity is acting within your values. So if the thoughts align with your values, even if it's hard, even if there's fear, then you execute on it like you did with that patient. It was hard. It was uncomfortable. You didn't want to, but it aligned with your values to give that piece of information. I mean, if you then sat there and told her, and I'm not really sure if, um, you know, I should have told you this or not, blah, blah, blah. Like you, you told her the full, everything that you were thinking at that moment. That's so unnecessary. And well, it's just not helpful. And if anything, it could be hindering her to think, to hear all of your very natural doubting thoughts as a doctor that we all have. Am I doing the right thing? You know, that's not an easy question to, to answer. But to tell the patient that and instill like, and I mean, unnecessarily reduce their sense of confidence in you when you're their doctor who cares for them and they want to know that the important stuff you've got under control that kind of honesty it's it's not useful so yeah I think that's a really important distinction isn't it it's it's not about just saying everything you think yeah getting that balance right I think it does happen intuitively for most of us um but there can be difficult conversations where I guess what would a good example be like in a in a when you've got to be really careful with your words or you're scared how they're going to land, like in a relationship where you really care about the person, for example, um, um, or if it's a colleague and you're going to have a, a relationship with that colleague for a long time, it's not just a, that, that lady coming to tell you about your pants. She didn't have that connection. She wasn't worried about tomorrow with you, you know, maybe potentially. Whereas there are these relationships that we have where telling the truth, you can never put it back. You can never undo it. And I think that there's a there's a carefulness that has to happen there. But equally, if you're being too careful, then it can come across as inauthentic. So do you have any advice on that or any examples from your experience? I think what you're touching on is kind of like the, it brings us more to that other end of the spectrum that you so nicely painted, which is the sort of, I think you said brutal honesty. 
just saying things, you can say things that are your opinion. And I guess for a lot of us, when people state their opinion in a, a blunt way, we can kind of take it or leave it. And that's fine. We're like, oh, I respect what they, they think. I respect their opinion. Well, that aligns with me. That doesn't align with me. Take it or leave it. But it gets more interesting when you're in these hierarchies like we are in, in the hospital where we are taught to hold people's opinions in higher regard that are higher up in the hierarchy. And so sometimes when you can deliver things with just like brutality um, that can easily seem personalized, you know, if you just say your work is terrible, the danger there is that people, um, A, don't know what to do with that kind of amorphous comment, like what exact part of my, where do I go from here with this? Can you, can you be more clear about what about it is terrible so that I can, if you cared about me, you would give me some direction to fix this problem. If you cared about me having this problem, you would do something to help me fix it instead of just your work is terrible because it's actually not helpful, is it? I wouldn't, you don't know where to start. You've got nothing. That's, it's useless feedback, except this person is unhappy with me. And then it's very easy for you to not only not be able to improve from that, but also take it personally. If somebody makes a really global, unformed statement that they haven't really, um, they haven't been caring, compassionate enough to turn it into a useful statement, it's very easy to just personalize it too. So, you know, there's lots of things that should not be spoken um, along those same lines. If you think that speaking it doesn't actually help the person fix the problem that you're pointing out, or if you think that that if you cannot tend to that human aspect when people take things personally, as we all do, even the most impressive, successful people in the world, they take things personally. That's that's how our human minds work. We want to know the relevance of this information to us and our thriving and our, our survival. Um, and also if, I mean, it was a great example last week that um, when you got some feedback that was perhaps well-intended, but not particularly useful in the context that it was, um, don't show any emotion is from my perspective, uh, it's incomplete. There needs to be some more finesse in that comment um, or advice. But then um, it was also delivered when you were sleep deprived and probably hadn't eaten, probably hadn't peed for 12 hours, you know. So it, it's neglecting the human aspect and what you need to be able to um, receive that information uh, and process it like a human being. So that's what I think about it. I think if, if you're, um, if you're gonna, it's not always kind to, it, just because you're telling somebody the truth doesn't also mean that you're being kind. You need to, you need to, deliver the truth because you care or because you want to help this person. Yeah, and holding space for their potential. So I think that is a key thing. Like I have been learning this this season, like I've been working with lots of exam candidates who are doing their long cases, right? Their exams. And they'll come to me and they'll be, you know, showing me their thing and doing their long cases and there'll be something quite kind of clear that they need to improve on, right? And obviously this this space is safe because they're coming to me for that, right? So I feel it's easy to give feedback when they're coming and asking for that growth in themselves. But in terms of delivering the feedback in a way that 
actually is helpful, not just that was a terrible long case, like what you're saying is like, you hold space for their potential and then they will literally walk into that potential because some people can't see their own potential until you show it to them as well. And I think that's sort of a magic that can happen when you actually are, I guess if you're ever in that situation where you are needing to give someone some feedback is like see them as their best self and help them walk towards it. And I have seen absolute just magic happening when you do that for people. And I don't mean that, I don't mean that to credit myself. What I mean is that the person takes that feedback on and then can step into their own potential. A lot of it's coming from their own work and determination, but creating that space in a place where you're giving very honest feedback. Um, and I guess it's touched on feedback again, but I guess it's saying things that are uncomfortable. It can be uncomfortable to give that feedback and be honest, but ultimately they are so much better off for it almost instantly because no one else is doing it <laughs> or very few people are prepared to do it like you say it's just such a beautiful example of combining that those two ends of the spectrum the honesty that you need and the compassion when you have those two components you deliver information in a way that creates the best case scenario as you say to, to help that person step into their potential and isn't that the point even when you're thinking about delivering um telling people what they they need to hear as somebody higher up in the hierarchy it's because you want this person to contribute to the healthcare system or to your team or whatever it is and i'm just thinking about that very original thing you said and although we've gone into quite a bit of detail i think it is as simple as that even with that someone's got food on their face like it it's just a, it still applies that you want someone to be able to achieve their potential even on a moment to moment basis. If someone's doing, you know, they're having a conversation, they're trying to be taken seriously at a, at a table and they've got food in their face, you're not helping them achieve their potential by ignoring that food on their face either. So I think it's actually a really nice way to conceptualize all of this, kind of to sum things up today, big or small, achieving potential in the long term, achieving potential in the moment. You want that best, the best for that person, you're, you're going to have to speak up. Yes, thank you so much, Christine. This has been such a uncomfortable, delightful, delightfully uncomfortable conversation. So guys, tell me to work out where you are in this moment in terms of saying the hard thing. Would you or would you not have come up to me and told me that my pants were see-through? Be honest with yourself. Would you or would you not? Let us know down below. I'm trying to think if I would. I think I would have. I'm pretty sure I would have. But So, I mean, as my friend, you would have. You totally would have. But just imagine you're a stranger. A stranger. That's even more interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that story. Thank you for sharing that story, Beck. That's gold. Thank you. And thank you for listening. And we can't wait to hear from you guys. <laughs> we'll see you guys again next week. Let us know if there's anything that you want us to talk about. We want to chat with you. I've been waiting all my life for something. I've been down the darkest roads and up in the clouds